Well, men, it is good to have another opportunity to look to the book of Proverbs and to mine its wisdom related to raising children. This is already our third part in this mini-series on the topic of raising children. And when we look at the purpose of Proverbs in general, we see that God has given it to us in his word in order to give us wisdom for how to live successfully in a treacherous world, in a fallen world, in the world outside the innocence of the Garden of Eden. And if there is one topic, one area of life where we need wisdom, it is the area of raising children. And that's especially in the forefront of our minds today when we consider how the darkness of our culture is targeting our kids more than ever. Fathers are the object of ridicule. When we look at how our culture views fathers today, especially fathers who are engaged in, in their homes, when we look at how the culture looks at fathers who take seriously their responsibility of leadership and see themselves as, as the head of their homes, that perspective is more often than not labeled the source of all kinds of sinful patriarchy. It's as if today the original sin, the sin that is greater than all others, is the sin of a man who takes seriously his headship in the home with respect to leading his wife and leading his children. That approach is considered to be the, an approach of misogyny. It's considered to be the wellspring of all kinds of child abuse. And if it's not that perspective, then when we look at Hollywood and the entertainment complex, we see how the culture looks at fathers in general as dimwits. They're the fools. Those fathers who have children and are at home, they know the least. That's how our culture views fathers. And in fact, we can even look at the government today and see how the government views fathers You can look at a statement that President Joe Biden just made last week on March 24th, 2021, when he said this, quote, you know, I told my daughters, my my granddaughters from the time when they were old enough to understand what I'm saying, and I mean it, there's not a single thing that a man can do that a woman can't do as well or better, not a single thing. End quote. Now, that statement wasn't particularly directed at fatherhood, but it certainly represents how the government itself views fatherhood today. And of course, that view is completely in contradistinction to the statistics, which are all abundantly clear. Fatherless homes are a great plight. In fact, the greatest plight on the social ills of our culture today. In terms of children being raised up in in fatherless homes, they are five times more likely to commit suicide, 32 times more likely to run away, 20 times more likely to have behavioral disorders, 14 times more likely to be sexually aggressive and go on to commit rape, 10 times more likely to engage in drug abuse, 
This is what the statistics consistently say. And yet in our culture and in the, in the principles and policies of our government today, fathers are under attack. But we don't need to just look at statistics. The scriptures are definitive. The scriptures tell us of the, the great role that fathers are to play in their homes. And this is communicated particularly by the book of Proverbs. And as you know, we started two weeks ago looking at the lessons from the book of Proverbs on raising children. And we're looking at nine lessons, nine key principles from the book of Proverbs that relate to the father's responsibility, role, and joys in raising children. So far, we've looked at six of these nine. In part one of this mini-series, we looked at the first three. A father's successful leadership begins by instilling in his children the need to fear God. Number two, a father's successful leadership assumes the depravity of his offspring. Number three, a father's successful leadership disciplines his children for foolish behavior. And then last week, in part two, we looked at the next three lessons from Proverbs, and those lessons are these. Number four, a father's successful leadership trains his children in the practical skills of wise living. Number five, a father's successful leadership builds upon the model of godly behavior. And number six, a father's successful leadership depends on marital unity. Now, those first six principles really focused on the standard or the mandate that Proverbs communicates related to parenting, not so much on the outcome. The final three lessons that we will look at now focus on really the outcome. It focuses on how the successful fathering actually works in the world outside the garden, and it looks at it in terms of its realism the realities of fathering in this fallen, treacherous world. Let's begin with our first point, but number seven overall, and it is this. A father's successful leadership creates the potential for incomparable joy. Let me say that again. A father's successful leadership creates the potential for incomparable joy. Now, when we look at the book of Proverbs, we, we find several sources of joy for a man's life. For example, the acquisition of wisdom itself is a source of joy. Hearing an appropriate word is a source of joy. Giving to the needy and practicing charity is a source of joy. The exercise of justice is, an, is, a, is a source of joy. Oil and perfume and the good things of God's creation are sources of joy. Even obedience to the law is described as a source of joy. But when we look at the entire book of Proverbs, the source of joy that it acknowledges most, that it most frequently identifies, the, that source is nothing other than children. That's right. The source of joy that Proverbs promotes and, and that Proverbs identifies and emphasizes most out of all the things that we could enjoy in this creation, it looks at 
children as that source of joy. Now, when we look at the word joy or gladness in the book of Proverbs, we can define it this way, as Stevenson defines in his commentary in Proverbs. He says this, in Proverbs, this word, the word joy, sometimes translated as gladness, describes the feeling of personal satisfaction that parents have as they reflect on the growth and maturity of their child. It is a wholesome emotion that rewards parents who have devoted themselves to the development of their child. End quote. Proverbs recognizes that God has instilled in men and women, in parents, this ability to recreate, this ability to, to procreate, to, to have children, to have likenesses of themselves. And this ability to procreate is, is considered to be this unique, miraculous source of joy that when it is approached in the right way and combined together with the grace of God, this ability results in the production of something that is of great joy to the parents. We see this, for example, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, the second half of verse 1, where Solomon states, quote, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Proverbs 23, verses 15 to 16, my son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. In Proverbs chapter 23, verses 24 to 25, we read these words, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Proverbs 29 verse 17 says it this way, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. When we survey the book of Proverbs, we see this most emphatic language used for children and the ability of children to bring gladness, to bring joy to their home. And that is something that needs to be emphasized in this world, which places things like careers and, 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 and entertainment and the enjoyment of boats and cars and big houses and luxurious vacations as somehow better and more lasting than the, than the joy that comes from bearing and raising children. Our pastor, John MacArthur, puts it this way in his book, Successful Christian Parenting. He says this, quote, Parents, ours is a solemn and awesome responsibility, but it's a wonderful privilege. One of the most fulfilling experiences in all the world is to have children committed to the Lord, no matter what the cost, because they have seen that same commitment in us. We must take to heart these words from Proverbs and understand, indeed, the human heart is 
desirous of joy. We were created to seek after joy and to experience joy. And in a vertical sense, we will find no other joy that compares with the joy we find in walking with our Creator and our Redeemer. But on a horizontal level, we must recognize that the human heart was also created to experience the joy that comes from parenting, from rearing children. And that is a joy that fathers must rediscover in this world that is so focused on materialism. Now, with that said, Proverbs is also a realistic book. It describes for us life outside the garden. It describes for us the realities of life that that is in a that is lived in a fallen world and so conversely nothing can create grief in the heart of parents like children who refuse their parents instruction and continue in folly proverbs is not silent on this reality for example proverbs 15 verse 20 a wise son makes a father glad but a foolish man despises his mother. More vividly, Proverbs 17, verse 21 says, he who sires a fool does so to his own sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Just a few verses later, in Proverbs 17, verse 25, we read this, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Indeed, Proverbs recognizes life outside the garden. It does not candy coat the realities. There is indeed a great risk involved in bringing children into this world. Because of the corruption of sin, because of the curse in this world, we, we are faced with the reality that, that our children, there's no, there's no guarantee that our children will turn out to love and fear the Lord as we so, so greatly desire. But nonetheless, the book of Proverbs still emphasizes that the risk is definitely worth it. We must not fear the risk. Married men must move forward with faith and with the book of Proverbs and other wisdom from God's word in their hands and embrace the privilege of bringing children into this world. Psalm 127 verses 3 to 5 state it so well. The psalmist states, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Men, don't value a career above having children. Don't set your joys on things that have minimal or no risk. At the end of your life, that money will leave you empty. Those possessions will leave you discouraged. Your large house will be empty of the joy that you could have had you decided to invest your life in the raising of children. Number eight, our third principle 
for this current session. It's this, our second principle, it's this, our a father's successful leadership does not guarantee a successful result. A father's successful leadership does not guarantee a successful result. Again, Proverbs does not candy coat things. It speaks of things in a very realistic sense. Now, everyone is always looking for guarantees. We want guarantees, and if we are going to bring children into this world, parents long for that steadfast promise, that formula, that if they fulfill it, they will be guaranteed with a certain outcome. Proverbs, on the one hand, seems to suggest this, and Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, is often used as that ironclad guarantee. Proverbs 22, verse 6 states, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is one of the most debated Proverbs in the book. And it and it's debated for many reasons, and one of those reasons has to do with translation. The, the words train up, that verb to train up, is really best translated with the verb to dedicate. What is being called for here is is to dedicate, to dedicate a child. And moreover, in the understanding of that word child, it's often considered to be an infant, a, a, a baby that you hold in, in your arms. And so if you will already begin dedicating that child, you will have this ironclad guarantee of a particular outcome. But the word child there is better understood as a young male, as a, as a young lad. So it, it's referring to something even beyond infancy, to a, a, a young male and the work that is put into that young male. And then you have this phrase, in the way he should go. And there's a there's quite a bit of uh, of liberty that has been taken with many translations and how that's translated because in the original it literally means according to his way, and so that first half of the proverb is really to be translated this way: dedicate a young lad according to his way, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, part of the debate with this verse has to do with the understanding of that phrase, according to his way. Now, elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, it is to be recognized that that phrase usually speaks to the sinful, foolish bent of any human being. It's used to refer to the reality that, that all children are brought into this world in depravity. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And therefore, when the child and when the young lad operates according to his own way, that is the way of folly. And so, some commentators look at this and say that this isn't an optimistic proverb. This is actually a very pessimistic one. It's, it's one of reality, and they interpret it this way. Dedicate a youth according to his natural bent, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, give a child what he wants, and he will become hardened beyond repair. 
And there are some good commentators who hold to that view. And really, how could any of us deny that reality? That if you give to a a young child, a young lad, exactly what he wants, indeed, you will, you will, you will strengthen that natural bent towards folly. And there's no possibility, really, that you have a basis on which to hope that that apart from the grace of God doing a transformative work in his life, he will just continue in that path. That is the reality of the cause and effect logic in the book of Proverbs. But is that really what the sage meant here when he referred to the way? the way, according to his way. Well, when we look at the book of Proverbs as a whole, I believe it is best to understand that reference to the way, not as the foolish way inherent in any child. Instead, the way here is best understood as the way of wisdom. Dedicate a child. Dedicate a youth. Dedicate a, a young lad, according to the way of wisdom, the way of wisdom that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This understanding takes a positive view of the cause and effect nature of parental instruction and discipline in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs does want to emphasize that positive view. It wants to emphasize that because of cause and effect, parents can have a generally optimistic view about the impact of wise discipline and instruction in the lives of their children. Proverbs wants us to grasp onto that. Now, with that said, this is certainly no formula for salvation. There's no way here that we can take this proverb to mean that Solomon or any of the other sages are guaranteeing that the child will grow up to love and fear the Lord. Rather, what is emphasized here is something that we do have influence over, and that is what we can call conditioned behavior. In other words, the, the sage here is not emphasizing the importance of, of dedica- dedicating a child to a certain way so that he would be saved. That is beyond our ability. But we can certainly condition behavior in our children in the right way, in such a way that the child will continue in that path, in that trajectory of that behavior when he is old. Again, the, the psalmist or the, the proverb here is not emphasizing it's, it's not emphasizing a guarantee for heart transformation, but it is speaking to us about the reality that we can have an impact in the long-term behavior of our children. One commentator, Tremper Longman, summarized it this way. Quote, the point is that this proverb encourages parents to train their children, but does not guarantee that if they do so, their children will never stray. This insight into the form of the proverb is particularly important for parents to grasp when their adult children have not turned out well. Otherwise, the verse becomes a sledgehammer of guilt, a purpose that it was not intended to carry. 
On the other side, the proverb should not become a reason for pride if one's children turn out well either. The proverb is simply an encouragement to do the right thing when it comes to raising one's children. Now again, I've emphasized that this, is, this proverb is not an ironclad guarantee. It is truth. It is truth, but this proverb is not intended to communicate all truth about parenting. In fact, that is why the book of Proverbs has been compiled for us. No single proverb can possibly encompass all truth about the topic in which it deals. It is one truth. And the book of Proverbs was compiled for us so that these various axioms, these various truth statements can can be read in light of others that deal with the same topic. And that is true about Proverbs 22, verse 6. It is a true statement, but it is a statement that must be read in light of other true statements in the book of Proverbs related to the outcome of parenting. And when we look at the whole book of Proverbs, we see that the sages did not provide their listeners with ironclad promises, ironclad guarantees that in every way a parent could produce a desired outcome in every situation if he just followed an exact formula The book of Proverbs doesn't communicate that. In fact, one of the ways we can see this is in all the conditional statements involved in the book of Proverbs related to children. For example, look for the word if in the following statements. Proverbs 2 verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words. And then he goes on to give some promises. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 3, just a few Words later, he says this, if you will cry for discernment. In Proverbs 4, verse 8, we read this, she, that is wisdom, will honor you. That's a promise, but there's a condition. If you embrace her. Proverbs twenty three fifteen. if your heart is wise. Proverbs 24, verse 14, if you find it, that is, if you find wisdom, a father says to his child, then there will be a future. Over and over again, we see within these promises given to children in particular, these conditional elements. But not just that. We also read elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs that emphasize the child's moral responsibility. In other words, the book of Proverbs never releases children from the responsibility they have to honor and to obey and to follow and to love their parents' godly instruction. So, for example, we see in Proverbs 13, verse 1, uh, the reality of a child who does not accept correction. The responsibility is on the child, and he is judged as a scoffer for his rebellion. Proverbs 13, verse 1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a father does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 15, verse 5, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. 
in verse 20 of chapter 15. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. And then in Proverbs 30, verses 11 to 13, we read this. There is a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There is a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. All of these proverbs assume the faithful instruction and correction offered by a father and a mother, and yet it acknowledges the possibility that that child will grow up to be a fool, that that child will, will grow up to be identified as a scoffer, one who despises his parents, one who is arrogant in his own attitude. And so we see this, this tension in the book of Proverbs, this tension between two laws, two important laws that are emphasized in in many different parts of the wisdom of this book. We see on the one hand, the law of cause and effect, that if you produce or if you sow a certain kind of parenting, that you can expect a certain kind of outcome. you, You will reap what you sow. And over and over again, the book of Proverbs emphasizes that law. But at the same time, It emphasizes the law of personal responsibility. It emphasizes the reality that that individual human beings are responsible. Even children are responsible for their own response to the words of truth. Now, children must be held accountable. And parents must recognize this collision between the law of cause and effect, the law of sowing and reaping, and the law of personal responsibility on the part of their children. And we as parents, and we in particular as fathers, must operate according to the hope of the former, but accept the reality of the latter. We must we must operate according to the optimism that is instilled by the law of cause and effect that God has programmed into the natural order and is not destroyed even in this fallen world. But we must also recognize and accept the reality of the law of personal responsibility. We cannot make our children fear God. We cannot make them Love the Lord, our God, with all their hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And this is a very important reality to to embrace as you enter into fatherhood and as you live your years as a father. In fact, we, we come down to this basic reality. Good parenting does not eliminate the parent's vulnerability to the child's personal choices. Proverbs holds children fully responsible for their choice. And it recognizes that when children make the choice of remaining in the folly that is bound up in their hearts, indeed, their parents will be vulnerable 
to the consequences. Proverbs 20 verse 20 says this, in emphasizing a child's personal responsibility, he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in the time of darkness. In Proverbs chapter 30 verse 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Harsh words that the sages communicate related to the responsibility of any child raised in the context of a godly home where the laws and precepts of the Word of God are faithfully taught, those children will be held to an account. Now, how do we deal with this in our own personal lives, especially if, if there are children, if your children who have been raised in your home and you have worked so hard to teach them the ways of the Lord and they walk away, how, how do you evaluate your own life? Well, again, I want to turn you to a, a statement made by our pastor, Pastor John, who said this in his book, Successful Christian Parenting. He said this, quote, If we measure our success as parents solely by what our children become, there is no inviolable guarantee in Scripture that we will experience absolute success on those terms. The true measure of success for Christian parents is the parent's own character. To the degree that we have followed God's design for parenting, we have succeeded as parents before God. End quote. Ultimately, that's, that's the reality in which we must rest. That the standard of our parenting is not exclusively the outcome of our parenting. The standard of our parenting is not exclusively the long-term outcome of our children. The standard of our parenting, that which determines whether we have been good parents or not, is really our own character. And whether our character has been transformed by the fear of God and has been conformed to the character of Christ, that is the standard to which we must look, the standard by which we must always gauge our parenting. Well, there's a final lesson that Proverbs teaches on this. It's our third one for this session, our ninth overall, and it is this. A father's successful leadership can establish a powerful legacy. A father's successful leadership can establish a powerful legacy. When it comes to legacy, there is nothing that is more powerful than what a father can accomplish through his children and the generations to come after that. And again, this isn't to ignore the risks that are there. As we just discussed, a, a father will always be vulnerable to the personal choices of his children. Nonetheless, the book of Proverbs identifies fatherhood, biblical fatherhood, as the way to establish true legacy. And this is so 
well communicated in a in a very interesting proverb in in the beginning of the book in Proverbs chapter 4 here Solomon writes this to his children he reflects upon his own upbringing and he states this in Proverbs 4 verses 1 to 4 hear o sons the instruction of a father and give attention that you may gain understanding for i give you sound teaching do not abandon my instruction when i was a son to my father tender and the only son in the sight of my mother then he taught me and said to me let your heart hold fast my words keep my commandments and live now what we recognize here is Solomon's acknowledgement of David's own investment in his own life. And we see that the very same terminology that Solomon quotes from his own dad is now the terminology that Solomon himself uses in the instruction of his own sons. And again, this emphasizes that that optimistic law that we are to hold on to as those who recognize biblical wisdom, and it's the law of cause and effect. That law does still operate, and here is the way, generally speaking, that a father can create a lasting legacy. It is to teach your sons the commandments of God. It is to pass on to them instruction. It is to give to them the words of life. And it is through that that we can create a legacy. Now, it's interesting to note, we all know that with Solomon, on the one hand, God gave Solomon wisdom directly. 1 Kings 4, verse 29 states it very simply. Now, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. So God did give Solomon wisdom directly in response to his prayer as a young man. But nonetheless, God gave wisdom to Solomon through his own parents, as Solomon himself acknowledges in Proverbs chapter 4. And how did he give that wisdom? He gave that wisdom through David. And David received that wisdom through Jesse. And Jesse, David's own father, Solomon's grandfather received it from Obed, and we trace that all the way back to a man, a godly man named Boaz. And we see through that lineage the impact of a godly legacy, that through faithful instruction, the words of wisdom, the words of instruction, the commandments of the Lord are passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. It really is no different than what we read of in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 where Peter where Paul says to Timothy the things that you have seen and heard in me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also Now that's the way that the gospel is promoted through the church but the way the gospel is promoted through the family, through the, the home, is, is from one generation, passing it on to others, not as a mere end in itself, but that, that that instruction, that wisdom would pass on to future generations before or, or after 
them. We see this communicated, for example, in Psalm 78, verses 5 to 8. This is how it is expressed in the context of Old Testament Israel. Psalm 78, 5 to 8. For God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. We also see the legacy that is intended for the home communicated in the life of Timothy. As we read of in 2 Timothy 1, here we do have the absence of a godly father, but we see that the legacy passed on by the mother. Paul writes to Timothy these words in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Now, this legacy is not the transfer of ancestral traditions in terms of just ways that you live your life in a practical sense that are disconnected from morality, the kind of foods you enjoy, those kinds of things. We're not talking about that. We're talking about biblical wisdom. We're talking about the transfer from one generation to the next of biblical instruction, this application of divine truth, unchanging divine revelation to concrete life situations. Because here's the reality with children. A a distinct weakness of children is that they lack experience in that very law of cause and effect. They lack experience. They lack this cachet of, of lessons of how this law operates in a fallen world. They therefore succumb easily to the enticements of sin and foolishness. Or as Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 says, they they succumb to the passing pleasures of sin. But where biblical wisdom passed down from parents and grandparents to children and grandchildren, where that comes in is that these parents, and especially the grandparents, they can pass on a wealth of knowledge and experience gained from seeing how biblical truth is to be applied in concrete situations. They have this wealth of lessons learned uh, uh, through, through errors and mistakes and through stumbling and falling. They also have this experience of seeing God's providence, His good works, as the psalmist stated. And so they're able to pass this on to children whose understanding and view of the world is still so narrow and and limited. This is what parents and grandparents are supposed to strive for in parenting, to pass on this wealth of information, this wealth of knowledge, this wealth of wisdom. So dads, 
talk much with your children about the lessons you've learned, both in terms of the lessons learned from from the failures in life, the failures to uphold God's laws, as well as those times when you were obedient, and how obedience to the wisdom of God impacted your life. Talk practically. Talk directly. Talk talk concretely about these things. Grandfathers, speak much of the providence of God in your life. You, above all, have the ability to give that that bird's-eye perspective of a long life lived under God's eyes. Pass on that wisdom to others. And when you do, you're able to say this to your children and to your grandchildren, as Solomon said to his own sons in, in, in Proverbs 4, verses 6 to 9. He said, do not forsake her, that is wisdom, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. This is your duty, fathers. This is your obligation, grandfathers, to tell your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that if you will not forsake wisdom, she will guard you all the days of your life. If you will love wisdom, she will watch over you. If you prize her, she will exalt you. She will honor you. She will place on your head a garland of grace and crown of beauty. You have the ability to pass this on. It's not the responsibility of the community. It's not the responsibility of the school system. It's not the responsibility of the government. It is your responsibility, fathers, to create this legacy. There's an interesting study that was done about a hundred years ago by Winship, A.E. Winship, who studied the impact of legacies. And he compared the legacy of Jonathan Edwards to the legacy of a man by the name of Max Jukes. Jonathan Edwards was an 18th century Puritan pastor theologian. He was married to his wife, Sarah, and together they raised 11 children. Max Jukes, on the other hand, was an 18th century man known for his idleness, his heavy drinking, and his irreverent lifestyle. And Winship went through and and examined the legacy of each of these two men to show the difference in the cause and effect results. In the life of Jonathan Edwards, this greatest theologian that that, that the continent of North America has ever produced, we see this in his legacy. One U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries in the generations following the life of Jonathan Edwards. On the other hand, in the life of Max Jukes, his legacy is this, seven murderers, 60 convicted thieves, 50 women of debauchery, 130 other 
convicts, 310 paupers who combined a total of 2,300 years in poor houses, 400 descendants who were physically wrecked by indulgent living, and all told it is calculated that the descendants of Max Jukes cost the state in their time more than a million dollars. That's a comparison between two legacies. Perhaps this is even summed up vividly and best in a Chinese proverb. The Chinese proverb states this, one generation plants the trees and another gets the shade. Let me paraphrase that in light of our study in Proverbs. The father plants the tree and his children and their children afterward get the shade. Men plant the tree of biblical wisdom. Those are the nine lessons from the book of Proverbs. A father's successful leadership begins by instilling in his children the need to fear God. He assumes the depravity of his offspring. He disciplines his children for foolish behavior. He trains his children in the practical skills of wise living. He builds upon the model of godly behavior. He works hard on his own marriage. He creates by his parenting the potential for incomparable joy. His fathering does not guarantee a successful result, but it can establish a powerful legacy. Those are the lessons of Proverbs. Men, let it impact our lives and make us better fathers who reflect in an analogous way the fatherhood of God to us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the wisdom that you have given us as your sons. We are thankful for the wisdom that comes to us in very concrete terms, very convicting terms in the book of Proverbs. We pray that these would not just be nice sayings, things that might be posted on a fireplace mantle, but rather these words would be written in our hearts. By your Spirit, do just that. Make these lessons true of our lives. Teach us to walk wisely in our homes, with our wives, with our children. Enable us to harness the power that you have created for the hands of us as fathers, the power of influence that is unparalleled in this world, and teach us to use this power in a way that glorifies you, that honors the wisdom that you have given by your word, and that works to the utmost good of our families. Father, we see the challenges that are there, the challenges that are increasing, but we hold fast to your word, which gives us, as it always will, the light to our path. 
Enable us to walk by it, we ask. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.